And if you have your Bibles, let me ask you to turn to the book of Philippians and let's continue to talk about Paul in prison. Philippians chapter number 1, and we will pick up in verse 12. We're working our way through the book, and if you were here last Sunday, you remember that we looked at the the unique relationship that Paul had with this church, and I want you to keep that in mind as we move forward. We're kind of now into the meat of the sermon of the book, meat of the letter. If you were here Wednesday night, you were expecting us to go to chapter uh, through the end of the chapter, or at least to verse 26, and we're not going to do that. We're going to just focus on these uh, this first section here. In my Bible, it's got a little subheading of the advance of the gospel. So there's very simply, for title's sake, I'm not one to make nifty titles, so we'll just say, for the gospel's sake, uh, we have uh, we have this uh, passage before us. Let me read it for you, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to bless not only the reading of His Word, but the teaching and the preaching of it. Philippians chapter number 1, and beginning in verse number 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. In that, I rejoice. It goes on and says it again, kind of connected to verse 19. Yes, I will rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. Beautiful words, wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. As we think about what Paul has, has gone through as he, can, as he sits in a jail and, and writes these words of hope and encouragement, Lord, may we hear not just words from Paul, but, but words from the Spirit. Lord, may we see uh, that which we should see. Would you open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts that we might believe. We who, by grace and, and by the Spirit, have come to new life, we feed on these words. These are our bread. These are our meat. This is our milk. So we ask, Father, that you would, you would be the Father to us that uh, would, would feed his children, nourish us, and uh, make us more like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is uh, writing here to the Philippians to inform them of some current predicaments that he is in. You have to remember in the first century, there, things were not as uh, readily available as they are today. We can find out how a friend is doing on the other side of the world in a matter of moments. They can give us a live stream of what's going on in their life. But Paul is uh, currently in a, in a jail. He's currently in prison for the sake of Christ. And the Philippian church maybe have only heard rumors of this. It would have been months uh, probably uh, as time passed before they hear of these things as they were waiting for news to travel 
uh, across the sea and across the lands to reach them. And so Paul is writing this entire letter not only to say thank you for a gift that was given, but to tell them of what is happening to him. And, and Paul here gives us a little insight into his mind. So as we're reading this, we're, we're getting a, a chance to look into the mind of Paul and see his perspective. And that's a key word as we walk through this passage, is the perspective or the point of view that Paul has. But not only does Paul share his perspective so that they would know how he's thinking about things, Paul is sharing this perspective so that they too might see things in this way. And so, just to help us to understand it, I want us to think about it as a gospel lens. That Paul is looking at his circumstances and his situation through a gospel lens. Now, I asked uh, Corey to read uh, from Acts 28 because it, it coincides with where we are right now, and I wanted us to be a little bit more familiar with Paul's situation. By the time that Paul had arrived in Rome, in uh, Acts 28:16, he had already been a prisoner uh, for at least two years in Caesarea. You can read about that in Acts 24. And, and largely, the last several chapters of the book of Acts is Paul's uh, imprisonment in one place or another and is standing before different rulers and authorities. Probably, from the very beginning, Paul had been chained to uh, a Roman soldier and as we read here in uh, in uh, this passage, that it is the uh, Praetorian Guard, the the uh, Imperial Guard, or as, uh, if you're reading uh, uh, the Palace, there. It says, uh, I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment. Explain what that means. But these are these soldiers that he is uh, he is being chained to are the the, the cream of the crop. It would have been the, the special forces of the day. It would have been the, the the Navy Seals of the of the Roman army that are guarding Paul. So he is. He is with some tough dudes and is chained to these men. And as he writes, as he travels, he is under close surveillance and a very close proximity to Roman guards. Uh, during this time, he has stood before different rulers and Jewish kings and Roman governors and, and is on his way to see Caesar. During this time as well, he has been shipwrecked on an island where he was bitten by a snake. And at first, people thought, he was a criminal because uh, he was getting his just desserts and then because he didn't die, then these people start thinking he's a god because he hasn't died from the snake bite. Then he finds himself in Rome and currently under house arrest. Now we know from the end of chapter 28 in Acts that Paul was there for about two years. But Paul didn't know he was going to be there for two years. And so as he's writing... He comes with the understanding, I've been in prison for two years, and it could be who knows how much longer, and the end is not necessarily uh, that he will be set free. So Paul is writing in the midst of this, this turmoil. He's writing in the midst of some very bleak circumstances, and that's not the worst of it. Because when Paul arrived, as we read there in, in Acts 28, that many of the Christians came out to see him. Treated as somewhat of a celebrity when uh, when the home team wins the wins the big game and they finally arrive back at at uh, either the airport or they arrive at the at the school if we're on a, on that kind of a level uh, people are there to meet them and to cheer them and, and congratulate them and and to welcome them home and in a, in in a way that's where Paul is as these Christians have come out to meet him but the situation has changed very very drastically over this time in Rome 
at the time of the writing, Paul is nearly forgotten. He is uh, nearly, uh, he's been forsaken and abandoned. As he tells the Philippians in a, in a later place in the book, that uh, many, no one was giving or receiving uh, him. He was, he, they were the only ones that were helping him. If you want to go and look in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 16, it talks about a man named Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus, or something like that. And he, uh, he had been, he had gone to Rome to find Paul, and it took him a while to find Paul. He couldn't just show up and, and figure out where Paul was. It seems that no one knew where Paul was because of the, the, the what we're going to get into, that Paul's reputation had changed uh, within the within the Roman church. And the, the Philippians, no doubt, have heard these rumors. They want to know what, what's actually going on. Is Paul still in prison? Is it true that Paul is... Is, is, is it really in prison? Is it, is he still there? Is he still even alive? We've heard of shipwrecks. We've heard of snake bites. We've heard of, 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 of guards and, and all these different things. What exactly is true? And so they want to find out from Paul himself. And so they've sent Epaphroditus, not only to help with money and with aid, but also to get some updates so that they might be able to, to know how he is doing. And so this, this portion of our letter here, Paul is writing, so to confirm, yes, the rumors are true. Yes, it is pretty bleak, but it's not as bad as you might think. It's not good, but it's not so bad as you might think. And as I said, we get to see inside the mind of Paul as he shares his perspective. Several reasons, and we'll come back to this at the end to, to, to help us to, to sink in. But several thoughts is, before we really get into it as to why Paul is sharing this this. Uh, particular encouragement. First of all, I believe that Paul didn't want them to be discouraged because of his imprisonment. They loved Paul. They wanted to know that Paul was doing well, and they, uh, they, he didn't want them to be discouraged. Secondly, I think, and very importantly, he didn't want them to give up in partnership. Uh, Paul, as we read in Acts 28, was living at his own expense. This wasn't uh, as the modern prison system where you live at the taxpayer's expense, three hots and a cot, and all the medical care you need, and TV, and, and, and all those other things. No, Paul was paying for it himself. And, and he needed the money. He wasn't able to go out and do the things that he was doing. And, and as we've read later on in Philippians, a lot of the churches had abandoned him. They dropped supporting him. And Paul needed uh, them to continue their partnership that he talked about in the previous verses as we looked at last Sunday. But he wanted them to, to realize, too, that just because he's in prison, he's not done. The partnership is not over. The fellowship that they have, the gospel work is not over. Don't think God's given up. Don't think that, 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 that it's, it's all over for me now. Another reason I think that Paul says uh, these things to them is he didn't want them to get caught up in choosing sides between uh, Paul and his enemies. As no doubt many of them loved Paul and would have been loyal to Paul and would have been able to, to stand up for Paul and, 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 you know, to take arms, if you will, against the, those who would detract Paul. As Paul's gonna get in to say, uh, these are brothers. These are Christians as well. And he, and he says some of these things to, to keep them from, from fighting against flesh and blood. Another reason I think, and, and maybe more practical, more personal to them, is he didn't want them to become bitter or resentful when certain, when similar circumstances happen to them. Everything he writes about is happening to Paul. But eventually, these things are going to hit home in Philippi. And he wants them to make sure that they're not bitter or resentful. And so, in a nutshell, we can summarize all of that by saying that Paul wanted them to see his circumstances and their own through this gospel 
lens. So let's look at this gospel perspective that he has, and we see it in two ways. First of all, we see in verses 12 through 14, a gospel perspective of his circumstances, and then in the last part through verse 18, a gospel perspective of his rivals. Look at, look at uh, verses 12 through 14. He says that uh, there we see this gospel perspective where, a.k.a., I'm useful no matter what my situation is. He says there, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? Well, all the things that we've been talking about. He's been in prison. He's been beaten. He's been uh, accused of things falsely. He's been shipwrecked. He's been brought near to death. He's, he's been chained to a Roman guards for, for, for who knows how long. And he wants them to understand, yes, these are the things that are really happening to me, but I want you to know that the things that have happened to me have actually been used to advance the gospel. This, Paul has, is a gospel-first attitude. It doesn't matter that it's been negative for me. It has advanced the gospel. It doesn't matter that I've been sidelined, if you will. I'm no longer doing the thing that I was doing before and doing quite well. But it's the gospel-first attitude. Everything that is happening to me is fine because it's advancing the gospel of Christ. We see in two ways that he explains this. First of all, prison brought new opportunities. Prison brought him new chances to reach new people that he might not have reached otherwise. Look at what he says there in verse number 13. Uh, yes, verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. This, this, this phrase, imperial guard, is one word, the praetorium. And if you're using a, a King James Bible, it'll say the whole palace. Uh, but, the, the, what this is, is it describes a uh, the Praetorian Guard. Uh, this is uh, what's called metonymy, and it, it would be like when you watch the news and they say the White House uh, issued this uh, issued this update today. It wasn't the actual White House that that was speaking, but it, it is the the representative of the whole. And so this is what he is saying there that the Praetorium. The, so either it's the whole palace, the whole place where uh, where the emperor uh, was, or he's specifically, and I think talking about the actual people. These are the elite soldiers. If you read through the history, you can find that these were the emperor's bodyguards. These were king makers. These were the ones that kind of took out the old one and made sure that the new one got in. As I mentioned, that Paul was chained to these guys. These are not these are not the Boy Scouts of America or, or of Rome. These are these are not uh, the, the 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 lowest on the totem pole getting guard duty. These are the highly trained. These are the 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 the, the big the big. This is the big guys. And some some history uh, uh, books will tell us that there were about 9,000 to 10,000 of these elite Praetorian guards. And it is very likely, it's very possible that, as one one scholar puts it, some but not uh, some but surely not all of them would have encountered the uh, Paul through his supervisory duties, as they would have probably taken shifts, being chained to these guys. Can you imagine for a moment being the soldier chained to the Apostle Paul? You heard the book of Philippians before anybody else did. You heard him counseling Christians. You heard him pray. You heard him uh, in his dark days. You heard him in his up days. And these are the guys. No, 
there, there's no chance, or there's, there's no doubt that, that some of them would have come to know the Lord because of the gospel. And if Paul is an evangelist and he's willing to go all the way around the world to preach the gospel to people, don't you think he's, he's talked the ear off of these guys? They can't go anywhere either. He can't go anywhere, but they can't either. And so they've got to talk to him. They've got to at least listen to him. And we've seen him uh, interact with other jailers back in Philippi. And, and as, uh, uh, through wearing them down with a gospel witness, they had come to know the Lord. That's where these guys are. But not only does he say that, that it is spread through the, all, the, uh, all the, uh, the palace or all the praetorian guard, but he says into all the rest. So Paul is just really explaining that there have been so many different opportunities now that I'm in prison that I didn't have before. What, what, what elite soldier was going to show up to one of Paul's prayer meetings? Which, which of these guys, these rough and tough guys who were pagans, were going to have a, give Paul a listen unless they had been put there on guard duty? I've got nothing else to do. We're gonna play cards and I'm gonna hear you talk about this Jesus. And Paul wouldn't have had these opportunities had he not been put into prison. And then that spreads. And hey, uh, you got you got guard duty with Paul tonight. Oh man, you know he's been talking about some weird stuff. This guy that was crucified that that you know we did back in Jerusalem, and and then but then he's back alive again. And and this Paul, I mean, this guy's crazy because he used to be killing these people, and now he's on their side, and he's like carrying the banner. And and no doubt this this news spread. Of we all know who Paul is, but notice that he says not just who Paul is, but that he says that it's been known that that my imprisonment is for Christ. They know why he's in prison. Because he's a preacher of the Gospel. Because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. And they know why he's there and what he's doing and even, even there. In some ways, Paul would be the, see himself as the Trojan horse uh, within Caesar's palace. He, you know the story of the Trojan horse where they, all the soldiers crawled into this giant wooden horse and, and it looked like a gift until they brought it into the city and shut the doors and then the soldiers come spilling out and what they thought was uh, a gift ended up being their doom. Well, if we, if we turn that around, they're bringing Paul in. We've shackled him. We've bound him. We've kept him from going out and causing further trouble. But what they've done is they've brought a great gospel witness into the center of the, of the palace, into the center of, of the, of the, of, of the, of the the enemy's camp, and from there, he's not silent. He's, he's, he's preaching and, and spreading the good news from within, behind the enemy lines. Paul was able to reach people because he had this gospel lens. But no, notice the second thing. He says, not only did prison bring new opportunities, prison has brought new voices. He says there in verse number 14, most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So now others have taken, taken the, 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 the cue from Paul. Paul has been sidelined and in their minds at least. Paul doesn't feel he's sidelined. Paul's just moved with behind enemy lines. But Paul's not sidelined. But, but from that human perspective, you know what? Paul can't do what he was doing. I'm going to do it. And it wasn't just one guy saying he'd take Paul's place. It was many of the brothers saying, I will do what Paul was doing. And they are, they're taking courage to boldly speak. There's no fear now. you think it would be the opposite. Hey, Paul got put in prison, and Paul might die for his faith. We ought to be quiet about it. No, they said, Paul might uh, was put in prison, and Paul might die for his faith. we got to get out there and, and keep it up. 
We've got to make this, make this go forward. And, and, and don't think that these people thought, oh, it must be getting easier to be a gospel witness out there. I guess I can do it now. No, they're watching the horrible things that are going on in Paul's life and saying, I can do that. And it's amazing how the persecution within the church actually encourages other Christians to step up and do what they should be doing. And so some, to just summarize this little, this little piece here, whether it was good or bad, Paul looked at it from how does it serve the gospel? You know what? It would be a horrible thing if, 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 if you or I were put in prison today. Especially if it was for something like Paul. To say, you know what? Uh, they came in and they arrested us for, for having church. They came in and arrested us for preaching the gospel. But Paul didn't sit in prison and mourn and, 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 and feel sorry for himself. He says, you know what? What are they going to do now to me? If I, if they, they arrested me for preaching. They can't arrest me when I'm already arrested. They put me in jail. They can't do it again. Are you going to kill me? Is that the worst you can do to me? Let me tell you why I'm here, guys. And he went on and he, and, and, he, and he preached the gospel to them because he looked at it through a gospel lens. And this just goes to show us that there is opposition from man to the will of God, but it goes unhindered. The, 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 the gospel advance may be opposed, but it is not hindered. God still accomplishes His plan, His way, and man can try, and as, as Psalms 2 tells us, the heathen plot, and they, and they figure out how can we cast off his bonds. Uh, God is doing his thing, and, and you're not going to stop it. Paul did not give up, even though he was in prison. He knew his usefulness was not over. Secondly, we see a gospel perspective of his rivals. Now, these people that have been encouraged and emboldened to preach the gospel are not all uh, friendly to Paul. Now listen very carefully to what Paul says there. He goes on, he says that, that you know many of the brothers, or most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some of these brothers who are preaching, they indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. And he goes on to describe them. The latter, these ones doing it from goodwill, they do it out of love. They do it knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Now the former, the guys who are doing it from envy and rivalry, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So let's just think about what, what Paul is saying here. These men, first of all, that are preaching based on a partnership with Paul. They, and I, and I think he's talking about particularly the Roman Christians. The ones who are there in the city and they know what's going on and they've seen what's happened to Paul. These might be all the rest, not just the imperial guard, but all the rest that know Paul's in prison because he preached Christ. We're going to get out there because we have a similar koinonia. We have a similar partnership and we're going to get out there and we're going to preach the good news of Christ. They love Christ. They love the gospel of Christ. And, and I think specifically, they love Paul. They're with him. They're supporting Paul. And they're going to carry the torch now for Paul like the Philippians had. But these other people, these people that are preaching with mixed motives, these people that are preaching the gospel, but they're preaching it out of envy. They're jealous of Paul. They're glad Paul's in prison. They're, they have a rivalry there. There's a competition against Paul. 
They're not on the same team as Paul in their mind. It's me versus Paul. And now that Paul has been put in the prison, now I can flourish. Now I can have a big ministry. Now I can be well-known and famous. There's selfish ambition, preaching for personal gain and glory. They're preaching, he says, insincerely. They have ulterior motives as to behind what they're doing. And Paul is not talking here about false teachers. He's not talking about Judaizers. He's not talking about people coming in and preaching another gospel, which is not another. He's talking about people who are preaching the gospel, but are doing it to try to twist the knife in Paul's back, to make it worse. Notice that he says there that they are, uh, they are uh, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. They want to make it worse for me. They want to make my prison sentence worse by proclaiming it. Maybe they think the more we get out there and do this, the harder they're going to, the more they're going to take it out on Paul. And they're more than happy to do it. And they thought that they could serve Christ by doing this and yet at the same time get back at Paul. Now think about that for a moment. It is possible then to do the right things with the wrong motives. I don't think Christ is pleased that these men are out there trying to inflict more wounds into Paul. But, Paul says, the Gospel is still getting out. They are still preaching the right Gospel. Paul would not have said this if they were going out preaching a Gospel that is not another Gospel. But Paul, well, notice what Paul says. Though there is mixed emotions, Paul's response is quite clear and simple. What then? What do we say to this? How do I respond then? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. I don't care if they're trying to get at me. If they're preaching the truth, I rejoice. If Christ is being proclaimed, I rejoice. If it's me sitting inside the prison while many voices are multiplied out there and Christ is proclaimed, I rejoice. If they try to make Christ, make much of Christ by stepping on me, then great. I rejoice. He knew that there were Christian brothers out there undermining him. And he knew that he was stuck in prison while other people were seeing success. And other people were freely going about preaching the gospel as he no doubt wanted to do. And they were traveling and they were planting churches and they were seeing the gospel take hold in these places around Rome. Was Paul jealous? Was Paul bitter? Was Paul resentful? Was Paul angry? No. Paul says, hey, if Christ is being proclaimed, I rejoice. See, for Paul, it was that simple. He wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything. He says, they can bind me in chains, but they can't bound the gospel. They can't bind the, 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 the Scriptures, the truth of who Christ is, because they can't bind God. They tried to do that, and He rose from the dead. They can't bind the Word of God, and Paul is focused on that. Not on himself, but on the Gospel advance and on the Word of God. So the perspective that Paul had helped him see how God was still working in and through his suffering. He could see through this gospel lens that God was sovereignly working through all things. And God was sovereignly controlling all things. Which meant that God allowed Paul, or even you could say brought Paul, into prison by way of Roman guards. And, and Paul said, I'm fine with that. 
Whatever my God ordains is right. Paul also said, saw then that this, or this gospel perspective protected him from rivalry, from jealousy, from anger, from resentment and bitterness from these others who felt this way towards him. Paul didn't get distracted by saying, you know what, uh, I, I can't believe these guys are saying these things about me. You Philippians, I want you to know that these are lies. I want you to know that what they're doing is wrong and is deceitful. And then Paul says, hey, if they're preaching Christ, more power to them. Now think through this just for ourselves. When Paul says at the very beginning in verse number 12, I want you to know, brothers. Paul is not just saying, this is how I feel about it. Paul is also saying, this is how I want you to think about it. This is how I want you to see it. See my circumstances the way that I see them. The way that God would have us see them. Because, as we said before, I want you to not get too focused on the, the, the distractions out there. I don't want you to get too focused on how bad it's going for me. I want you to see that God is still taking care of His business through me in prison with men that probably never would have heard the Gospel otherwise. He wants them to share the perspective so that they wouldn't give up their partnership. He wants them to share the perspective so they wouldn't get distracted. He wants them to get uh, to share this perspective because this would happen to them. And in some ways, it was already happening to them. If we remember our first century uh, church history studies, uh, this was this is only going to magnify. It was only going to multiply the persecution and the, and the and the hunting down of Christians and the burning of them and the and the and the crucifixions and all of these things that were going to happen. And Paul says, "Listen, it's not going to get better for you. So you need to learn to look at life through a gospel lens." Let me ask then, what are your chains? I don't think any of us have chains as Paul had. But there are things that are in our lives that if we're honest, we can begin to think that they're what hold us back from doing something more. Maybe you'd think, if I didn't have this, I could do something for God. If I didn't have this, I could go out and be something productive. I could really fulfill God's will for my life. What's holding you back? What's sidelined you or limited you? Is it a job that you feel that you have that keeps you chained to a desk and doesn't allow you to really get out and talk to people as you would to exercise your, your, your gifts and your abilities? Is it a house full of kids who need caring, who need feeding and cleaning and repeating, and you never really get to talk to other people than those kids? And that chains you down. And Oh, you would never say that out loud because it doesn't sound loving to say that these kids are a chain and they're holding me back from doing something that matters with my life. Maybe it's a sickness. Limits your usefulness. Maybe it's old age. And with old age has just brought a loss of energy and strength and and, an ability to do the things that you know you used to do. Listen to what Paul is saying here. Don't see these things as a limitation. Don't see these things as a chain that binds you, but rather see them as new opportunities. See them as a chance to advance the gospel. If, if you're, if you're, uh, see them as a chance to share with new coworkers, or as a chance to, 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 
to, to talk to someone that otherwise might not have been able to be talked to unless you were at that desk or in that office or wherever you may be. See, it is a chance to train the future generations, those who will become the new voices. You have one voice, and the house full of children will be many voices, and see that as the opportunity to teach and to train the next generation for the gospel of Christ and to carry on the work of Christ. See that illness or that extra time at home as more time to pray and to, 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 to encourage others through notes. And the, many others are busy and they're up at, at, at dawn and they're, they're home at sunset and, and they're working all day long and when they get home they're tired. But you, though you wish you could be out there and you wish you could be serving and wish you could be working, you're stuck at home. You have less, uh, you have less en- uh, energy and strength, but you have more time and you can use that now to invest into the work of God and to encourage those who are with you. So how do you view your circumstances? Think about the circumstances that you find yourself in right now. Will you look at your circumstances like an unbeliever would? Woe is me. I can't believe this has happened to me. What bad luck. I better look out for number one. I better better stop everything around me and focus on me. Self-care. Or would you look at it as Paul's opponents do? How can I make this better for myself? How can I improve my situation? And when one has fallen, I'm going to step on him so that I can get up the ladder a little bit higher. I'm going to look at self-promotion and rivalry and I'm looking at others and and I'm secretly glad to see them fall and and to see them hurting because it, it only helps me improve my situation. Or might we look at them as Paul? As Paul would have the Philippians to look to rejoice because it's all about the glory of Christ. It's all about the advance of the gospel. Now think through this with me. Whether he was in prison, whether he was shipwrecked on an island, or whether he was standing in a synagogue or before a ruler giving his testimony, Paul saw every situation as gospel opportunities. He knew that God is sovereign over his life and over each step that he took. Not one step did Paul take that was outside of God's will, outside of God's ability to, to, to handle. He knew that God would accomplish his will in his own way. And he knew that man's opposition is no match for God. And so Paul was able to find usefulness wherever he was. Whether it be in prison, chained to a soldier, I'll talk to this guy. Or whether it be in the synagogue with a bunch of angry Jews. Paul was willing to advance the gospel wherever he was. And our situations may look different now than they used to. It may look different now than it did before. And from a human perspective, it might be worse than it was before. We look at our world today, and it is not getting more righteous. It's not getting better. There are, there's more persecution. There is more uh, influence away from righteousness. Do we just give up? Do we dig a hole and bury ourselves and wait it out? Or do we say, you know what, it's, it's, getting, it's giving me a chance to do something that I couldn't have done before. It's giving me a chance to live in such a way that wouldn't have had 
as, it wouldn't have been as impactful as it will today. We must learn to view our situations through a gospel lens. Don't get sidetracked by the, by the other people that are out there saying things, but not the way you would say them. We're doing things, but not the way you would do them. Maybe they're doing it right. You just don't. You, there's a, there, there is within us, I think, that competitive nature. I want, I want to, to, to see me grow and succeed. And sometimes at the expense of my brothers and sisters. If I can't succeed, I don't want anybody to succeed. And I don't care if you had a rough day of it, as long as I had a good day of it, all is well. Resist that. Look at it through the gospel lens. The word of God is not bound. Things might look grim and bleak, but the Word of God is not bound. God can still accomplish His purposes. And as we looked at last week, uh, Philippians 1.6, He will accomplish that which He began. Paul said in uh, 2 Corinthians that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, he said, I will glory in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Whatever my God ordains is right. It's not just a song we sing. It's an attitude that we need to have. Whatever God does, whatever God chooses, it's right. So to Him, I leave it all. As long as Christ is proclaimed, I will rejoice. And I will do my part to proclaim Christ wherever I may be. And I will encourage others who share the same message. And I will rejoice when others proclaim that message. I will rejoice. Would you pray with me, please? As we take a moment and we listen to what God has said to us through His Word. Paul to the Philippians, but the Spirit of God to his church in Sherman today. I wonder if we might need to acknowledge the situation that we are in. To stop wishing that we were in a better condition. To stop wishing that it was somehow different. To learn to trust God's plan and His purposes. We need to pray that God would advance His kingdom. As Jesus taught us, pray Your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or if you need to pray for a perspective. For God to give you that gospel lens that you might see your circumstances differently. Stop seeing them as coincidences, accidents, and bad luck. If you're sitting here this morning and you're not a Christian, I would just tell you that it's not a coincidence that you're here today. Let us all be praying for grace to see circumstances through a gospel lens. Our Father in heaven, you've given us each different situations. Some of us deal with health issues. Some of us are dealing with family issues. Some of us are dealing with work problems. And some of us at this current time could say, you know what, all is just just great in my life. And others of us, and, and often many of us, could honestly look and say, you know what, there's, there's a lot going wrong. I carry a lot of burdens. 
Lord, it's not that You have overlooked some of us and blessed some and forgotten about the others. It's that You have chosen these these paths for us to follow. Though we're all taking the same journey towards Christ, it seems that we are given different burdens to carry. I thank You for the church that You give to us that we might bear one another's burdens and help to fulfill the law of Christ to love one another. God, we pray for the grace to see things as Paul saw them. Not to be discouraged at our own circumstances. Not to be upset. To be distracted. But to see that all in all things, you are working them for your glory. And for our good. And if we could just see them the way that you see them, it would change our whole day. It would change our whole attitude. We might be able, as Paul did, to rejoice while being chained to an affliction. God, in our circumstances, be glorified, be magnified, be pleased. Thank you for the opportunity to have been in your house, with your people, be led by you in worship, to do that one great purpose for which you created each of us. Carry us through this week, through our situations, and help us to see the gospel advanced through our own testimony, through our own voice, through our circumstances. Work in and through us, please. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.